Houston, I'm John Herter. Tuesday, the 15th day of August. Great as always to have you along, everybody. From the experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interaction. If all goes well, curiosity spark, new ideas, accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or someone else solve a problem, make a connection, reaching the opportunity faster. Welcome to the fourth episode in our series, Helping Business Leaders Solving Problems with AI, in partnership with Hewlett Packard Enterprise. On the show today, why enterprises need a full stack AI platform. Folks, help me welcome guest expert, Srikant Vijayaraghavan. Sri has more than 25 years in the tech industry and he started his career in the electronic design automation and went on to spend over a decade building data center infrastructure products for multiple tier one OEMs. He is passionate about emerging tech and helping clients and partners achieve success. Sri loves breaking down complex problems into understandable pieces. And in his current role as Global Head Strategic Alliances for NVIDIA Software, Sri has built several AI solutions in partnership with HPE, NVIDIA, and a very dynamic ISV ecosystem, targeting very specific use cases such as computer vision, speech AI, and generative AI. Sri, grateful to have you on the show. Shed a little light and break down this complex challenge that companies face when they're scaling their AI projects from pilot to production across the enterprise. Over to you. Thank you, John. Thank you for the introduction. Um, you know, I'm excited to be here. And like I said, you know, um, this is a place where we want to share our learnings, exchange ideas, and, and walk away with something that uh, we all have learned, including, you know, myself, right? So uh, it's not supposed to be a, um, you know, one-way uh, dump of information of any sorts. So, um, and having said that, I think the last um, three to four months has been a wild ride. Uh, and I think, you know, everybody can agree with me, um, given that this whole space of generative AI has, uh, has sort of woken up the enterprises uh, and then, you know, everybody has this sense of, you know, how can I participate in this journey, uh, in this AI journey? And, you know, the, the, the reality is that we all have been consuming bits and pieces of this technology over a period of time, but we have been just um, uh, sort of, you know, to, to state it, dumb consumers, right? Uh, we all have used Siri, you know, we all have been on Amazon's page and whatnot, all of that, which involves AI technology, but really, you know, there is no touch and feel of, of what is actually happening. And, um, you know, our CEO Jensen talks about this a lot, you know, where he says, this is the iPhone moment of, uh, of artificial intelligence. So the way I like to actually explain it is, you know, the, the reason why iPhone had this huge impact is how we as users were interacting with the phone. Prior to that, you know, there was no user interface. There was no touch and feel of something that you have in your hand. And I think the same thing is happening uh, right now with generative AI and this space, because it is not a science project. It is not, I mean, it's a science project, but it's not, you know, just meant for people with advanced degrees and, and you know, complex programming, because this, you know, tools like ChatGPT has simplified how you interact with AI tools, number one. Number two, it's not just consuming, you are able to actually 
uh, use it uh, to be more productive. You know, whether you want to uh, drive, you know, something to your business, uh, build business outcomes, you're able to do that. So how you interact with AI has completely changed. And I think really that is what uh, is the, uh, the iPhone moment for, uh, for generative AI. But everything comes with a set of problems, right? Having uh, this thing, uh, Gen AI has gone uh, completely ballistic and now there is a race. Every enterprise wants to figure out how to implement it. How do they benefit from it? How do they create competitive advantage? Uh, you know, how do they build differentiated products? So um, what happens, you know, anytime there is a, a big hype cycle in technology is um, enterprises just, you know, or portions of enterprises just run off and try to solve their problem any way they can, right? And typically this creates some level of silo. A line of business, uh, to use a simple example so we can comprehend it, might be a little bit uh, dated, but say, for example, you know, uh, a mid-sized retailer uh, might decide to go online uh, for their sales and then figure out, hey, you know, I need to have some kind of uh, a recommender attached to my, my e-commerce engine. Uh, while it might not be a, a cohesive, comprehensive, top-down strategy for AI for the enterprise, they are going to go ahead and get it done anyway, right? You know, they're going to find the tools. Uh, they're going to you know, uh, jump into whatever infrastructure is available for them, you know, maybe a cloud provider, and, and, and go ahead and, and implement it. Now, there's a good chance they might succeed, but is there something that you know, can be scaled across the enterprise as a, as a comprehensive AI strategy to drive business goals? Uh, we don't know. Some, it's possible, but it is probably not the best way to approach the problem. So what I would like to do in the next five to six minutes, uh, let me share my screen. I don't have many slides, just one or two slides, is to set up the problem statement um, and, and, and talk about how some of the enterprises are approaching. Hopefully, you can see my screen, John. Is it coming out well? Is it good? Okay. Um, what what I have learned is that um, it's a three-legged stool. When an enterprise starts embarking in this journey of making AI a part of their strategy, typically uh, it's a three-legged stool. And what I mean by that is, you know, what I'm I'm trying to explain in this slide. Everything starts with the IT department, really, because this is the group that is providing you the standardized tool sets you know, that you use to uh, get your daily job done, uh, that keeping your company's environment secure, they're keeping your data secure. And there is a reason for that standardization uh, that brings um, a, a, a lot of efficiencies from a cost effectiveness and how they support the entire company and, and their, uh, their employees. So they definitely need to be in the table when we are trying to uh, define the AI strategy. The second leg of this tool is really the line of business. So these guys are trying to you know, find solutions. They are trying to be time to market. They're trying to meet their numbers, their revenues. So clearly there is a sense of urgency that they have but they also have the, the business proposition in front of them. So we have to understand, I mean, it cannot be just AI for the sake of AI. Is there a reason 
why AI is making those business goals, you know, uh, more easy to accomplish is something that needs to be debated. So they, they definitely deserve to be on the table. And the third uh, and the most important one is also the AI practitioner. So these guys need the right tools, the right software, the right infrastructure. Of course, they would ask for endless um, compute resources, uh, which is not possible. But having the right set of tools get them you know, as much closer as possible to the promised land. So it's the combination of really all three, uh, three personas coming together to really define how you want to go about defining the strategy and how you want to execute the strategy. And when you do that, um, really then a clear set of requirements come out on uh, when you're trying to standardize on an AI platform, what are the requirements? What are the key features that you should be looking at? And that's what I, I try to capture in, in, in this diagram here. And it's, um, it's very self-explanatory, uh, but I want to use some examples from the industry to, to see if we can digest the concepts here. So I'm gonna start in the, on the right side and then move my way in. Um, but let's start with the enterprise, you know, great security, stability and support. There is nothing new here. I mean, enterprises have been buying software. They've been buying software to solve for specific workloads, specific use cases that they have. Um, you know, whether you are building an ERP system, you know, you have a supply chain automation or whatever that is, uh, they go and buy software from established software companies, um, whether it's SAP or Oracle or you know, Microsoft or VMware, you know, these are people from whom they consume the software. And there's a reason for it because they use good sound software development practices. Um, you know, they, they make sure the software is patched, it's secure, it's versioned, it's supported um, you know, 24 seven. So there is a set of qualities that come with the software. So first and foremost, when you are looking for an AI platform, um, the, the first priority is to make sure that it comes with all of these enterprise grade qualities. And the second one I have here, which is uh, runs anywhere, is, is a, a table stakes these days for all things, all things software. Um, customers run on premises, customers run on the cloud, they run on multiple clouds, they run hybrid. So reality is whatever platform you choose to use obviously has to run across many combinations of these environments. And of course, uh, whether it is in the data center or at the edge or at the cloud, that becomes table stakes. So um, these two are my first two priorities. And at this point, I would like to invite uh, a good friend and colleague of mine from VMware, because obviously they do this all day long, to share some of uh, her perspectives and what she's seeing with customers. So Rupa, uh, welcome to the show. And if you could share your learnings as you onboard AI workloads into VMware, what are you seeing out there? Sure. Uh, thanks, Srikant, uh, for sharing this arena with me. Um, so I work for VMware, and I'm responsible for uh, uh, partner solutions. Um, and Srikant and I and uh, HP have been collaborating on uh, uh, providing AI-ready infrastructure. Um, and what we've seen as trends is um, it's it's progressing, right? It's It's now a situation where uh, customers and channel partners or integrators are looking for hybrid cloud model 
um, unlike before where it would be either in their uh, location or it could be public cloud, but I think that is yeah, maturing now where they're looking for more uh, hybrid deployments. It could be virtualized, it could be containerized. Um, and what they're looking for is something that is usable for multiple AI uh, scenarios, right? They're not looking to uh, provision uh, dedicated hardware for just one kind of AI modeling. Instead, they would like to use it for multi-purpose. And I think where I think this industry is moving specifically for AI workloads is in terms of how we can optimize the hardware. I mean, everybody is looking to see how they can um, maximize on their investment. Um, and I think GPUs uh, being one of the key essentials for AI ML, uh, where VMware and NVIDIA and several other uh, companies are working together is to see how do we maximize on the GPUs and how do we distribute workload uh, could be virtualized, could be containerized. And in some of the analysis that uh, we've done, uh, we found that by leveraging GPUs in some of these AI ML workloads, you can free up almost 90% of your CPU cores uh, for other workloads, which is a big gain. So you're actually using your investment very effectively. So this is the extraordinary power of uh, you know, using your AI ML in a more democratized infrastructure model. Yeah, I think that those are great, great points, right? And um, to um, um, to add, you know, a couple of more comments on top of that is, so when you're and from the other side of it, when you're looking for AI software vendor, it becomes really important that it runs on traditional standardized um, IT environments. So you want to look for AI software vendor that's working closely with the VMwares of the world, making sure that software is optimized for the highest performance and, and uh, you know, cost effectiveness. So um, that's definitely you know, uh, a part of why we say, hey, make sure this is enterprise grade, make sure this is cloud native. And, and, and I think the partnership with VMware is a great example. And as we move into the, the left uh, two items I have here, and, and these are very, very interesting. Um, of course, uh, Rupa mentioned a little bit about how we want to use GPUs and optimize them you know, for running AI workloads. So having the right infrastructure is absolutely important because if you think about it, yes, you know, it is going to need, um, AI is going to need, I wouldn't call it specialized anymore because it is becoming more and more mainstream, but th there are certain things that are important. Um, uh, everything is running in parallel in, in AI, a lot of parallel computing. Um, you need really big bandwidth requirements. Um, think about it, you know, if you ask Siri something and if it takes five minutes to get a response, that'll be a terrible user experience. Having really low latency responses is directly dependent on having the right infrastructure. And again, this is not new. That's one of my things that you'll hear from me is saying a lot of these experiences that enterprises uh, have gone through, why should it be new for AI? Yes, AI is just ramping up, but every requirement we have had in the past is the same. So another example using something like, hey, if you're running a big databases where you're running a lot of query and you want a quicker response, you're going to buy systems which have a lot of memory. You're running big data workloads. You're going to buy systems with a lot of uh, storage. 
So same way, having the right infrastructure that takes the guesswork out uh, saves you a lot of time. And of course, it's a direct reflection on TCO as well. And the second part of that, the speed uh, of speeding the time to production, this comes from how much help does the vendor give you? So when we talk full stack, you know, we look at what we call the layer cake. So clearly there is infrastructure. I just talked about it, the right infrastructure. Above the infrastructure, in the middle, in the middle where you have all of your the drivers and the firmwares and you know all of that stuff, uh, which needs to be optimized to run at the best performance with the infrastructure. And above the middle, you have the APIs and end user applications. And the applications, once again, must be optimized to run on the, the two layers below it. So if you look at it, at every layer, there is a degree of performance that is increasing if this whole stack is optimized to work uh, together. So um, one of the ways that people can really accelerate is having examples, very simple. You, know, you don't have to start always from scratch. There are tons of um, uh, AI models and AI containers out there. Of course, you know, uh, we have to go after something that is more reliable, which is why we are talking that, hey, make sure they are supported. But uh, using NVIDIA as an example, you know, we have uh, put out a lot of open source containers out there, which are already ready to grab and use for specific use cases. Uh, there are also AI workflows, you know, which is more like a opinionated version. Somebody has done it. You know, my, uh, uh, one of my uh, business school professors in, uh, in my new ventures class used to say, if you want to be an entrepreneur and if you think you have a great idea, there are 20 other people who have already had that great idea somewhere in the world, right? So using that as, as a parallel, if you're trying to build something from scratch, you know, first look, probably it's already there in NGC or it's an open AI or, you know, one of these you know, hugging phase, there are many places where you could um, you know, get a head start and reduce your project time significantly. So um, these two, having the right infrastructure that is good for AI acceleration, and having examples and workflows and, and containers that give you a head start are super important. So once more, I would like to uh, uh, invite a colleague of mine from NVIDIA, Vivek, to, uh, to share some of his experiences as he works closely with channel partners and the broader ecosystem of ISVs. Vivek, if you could share your thoughts. Yeah, thanks, Sri. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been with NVIDIA for coming up about six years, primarily working with partners and how they can help their customers choose the right platforms to develop and deploy AI initiatives. Uh, I think a few key trends have emerged related to the necessity of full-stack AI platforms, as Sri was mentioning, meaning the right software optimized to run on the right infrastructure specifically for AI. So one thing that NVIDIA introduced was um, AI-certified platforms that provide customers the performance, the reliability, scalability, and with the added benefit of increased operational efficiency. Uh, so we've launched a suite of AI certified platforms um, with, you know, in collaboration with partners such as HPE. The second piece, which I think Sri also alluded to is the need for supporting these AI practitioners as they invest all this time in these AI projects. The community has largely relied on open source. However, this has also meant that there were just too many choices, perhaps, maybe a lot of starting points. And I think more importantly, not necessarily as much clarity in what to do if, let's say, a model broke. 
So a curated repository that consists of open source models that practitioners typically use, however optimized and more importantly supported, was another key aspect of success that we found. Um, and then these AI projects, they affect the top and the bottom lines of these organizations investing in them. And so I think, you know, again, a point that Sri made is a set of pre-trained models that are relevant in that domain allows these practitioners to significantly accelerate the time to market and the time to insight. And so, you know, to these last couple of points that I've made, NVIDIA software stack, which we refer to as NVIDIA AI Enterprise, addresses this. And, you know, it allows these practitioners to start at the 80 yard line. And so many of our customers have seen massive improvements uh, by using such uh, a full stack AI platform, um, as much as 10x in some cases related to computer vision, as an example. And, you know, it's this full stack hardware software platform approach with pre-trained models that's allowed them to do this. So it clearly confirms what Sri has been observing around access to optimized accelerated computing infrastructure, proven AI workflows, and pre-trained models being the key pillars to success. Yeah, thanks, Vivek. I think that's a, the, the, that's a great um, uh, point in the, in the end, which is um, we have seen the 10x improvement is a significant one. And you know, these are um, you know, what we call pre-trained models. And you know, there are various use cases, of course, but we have seen tremendous success um, in the computer vision space, which is great. Um, so bringing all of this together, uh, let me close my talk. And, and, and there's, uh, this, it's not just four, there's four plus one, you know, which I'm not showing in this slide. It is great that the, if you find solutions which can satisfy all of these four uh, categories, it's wonderful. You know, these are going to be, uh, that's definitely heading in the right direction. But what I have also seen is that a lot of times, even with the right platform, moving from your concept to POC to production um, is not an easy task, mainly because of you know, lack of competency, new areas, new use cases. So I think um, we are seeing more and more customers relying on service delivery partners, system integrators who uh, have developed competency in actually you know, building these projects. So it is always good to um, learn the best practices from you know, some of these delivery partners in your first couple of projects and then ramp from there. Uh, I would like to uh, um, get some feedback from, uh, from Andy Lin from Mark3 uh, who does this on a daily basis. So Andy, if you could share you know, your experiences with customers, that'll be great. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Andy Lin, uh, CTO of Mark3. We're a NVIDIA lead partner and HP partner. And we specialize in working with organizations and building out their AI centers of excellence. Um, among a couple other areas, HPC and Omniverse around simulation. Um, it, like I pointed out, you know, tying it all together, um, absolutely. The, the way we think about it is, you know, to build out a, a centralized center of excellence of which it's half technology, half people process culture. Step one is obviously educating communities on, you know, tool sets and standards and, and, and ways to help people further their research or get build their products uh, using techniques that work very well on top of a centralized platform. Step two is rolling out the platform, like, like we've been talking about here, a uh, really key step. And the step three is really getting the communities to organically use it within the context of the products they're building, the research they're working on without disrupting their flow, right? Um, so if you focus really on step two, absolutely, this is a really key piece um, around a full stack AI platform anchored by AI Enterprise, like we've talked about, um, ideally on top of 
um, sort of world-class AI-based infrastructure um, anchored by uh, HPE and uh, NVIDIA. Uh, and yeah, this process uh, does take some time. We've been working in the space for the last eight years um, in order to build that platform so that teams can iterate at high velocity and quickly, right, does take some expertise and the ability to work work across that domain um, in a lot of different ways. Um, we've worked with a lot of different institutions um, that have once rolled out a strategy like this, um, it's been able to increase their velocity exponentially uh, as far as like the number of iterations. You know, when you build a model, you got to iterate quickly. Innovation is all about iterations, right? Um, it's hard to hit KPIs, uh, you know, straight up because you don't know what you don't know. Um, so the key is how do you make it so you can go as quickly as possible? So full stack AI platform strategy is a, a huge part of that. Thank you, Andy. Um, so I will, uh, I think we have set up, you know, the problem statement and some of the key requirements of, you know, why we need a full stack platform. I think at this point, I would like to turn it over to the group to, uh, to you know, ask questions and share their experiences um, and then go from that. So John, I'll uh, turn it back to you to look at yeah, some thank of you the very chat is Chat is busy, so <laughs> let's look right. at all the questions, yeah. No, thank you very much. So this is when we move to the group discussion. And, uh, you know, if you're new to the show, we're going to, Gus is going to put the uh, group discussion questions in there. But of course, you have your own. So as we, you can raise your hand using the tool. Uh, we'll go back to the chat here and answer a couple of those questions. Uh, and I'll also call on folks just to share your take uh, and keep it to 60 seconds or so, so we can keep it interactive. And if I call on you and you, uh, don't have anything you want to add, you can pass. That's A-OK. -okay. So um, with that, we're all about what are the problems you're trying to solve. And um, I'd say, Michelle, you came on early, we talked a little bit, you know, can you tell us, you know, who you're with, what you're doing and, and what your take is here? Well, I currently work with 24-7 AI out of San Jose, a customer service company. Um, yeah, I, I, but I've had a lot. I've done the same job in many different roles, and and I find the same thing. I'm lucky enough to have a large team of data scientists. About right now, 45 people. My last role was about 110 data scientists. So we were able, you know, there there weren't platforms, right? You know, like a few years ago when I was um, at Elsevier, AWS was coming out with SageMaker, and and you know the platforms were just coming out. I found, you know, and of course, everyone in our tech department, our engineering was like, oh, we can use this, we can use this. But what they don't understand is I have data scientists who are actually building these models. No one wants to rewrite them. They have the libraries with these models in there and we have our own data running. But that also requires us <clears throat> to build our own model monitoring software, the infrastructure, all of that. And even with these large team of data scientists, I finally had to tell my CEO, I can't have any more data scientists until we have more engineers. I can't have another data scientist because nothing's making it into production. And that, you know, I, it really resonated that alignment um, uh, with the business side. You know, for me, it's it's product and engineering and making sure we're all working off the same roadmap. And and also um, making sure that that my data scientists can work within that framework. So even though I have people that I've hired out of academia, you know, it's like, yeah, we work in the agile framework. They're like, yeah, but I have nothing to contribute. I just do research for the first two weeks. Yeah, you know, make the, make the process transparent. <laughs> you know, you read a paper, you try the lowest hanging fruit, then you do improvements, right? 
Um, but put that in the agile cycle. So everyone's on the same page between product and engineering. I had one case where uh, data scientists were working on a problem and within two months, we were able to build a, a model, a hybrid model. Uh, the work was good enough to publish at an ML conference uh, and also to get a patent out of, but it took eight months for this model to get into production so our customers could use it. And that's because we didn't have alignment with engineering. We didn't have, you know, to get at that point to get uh, ML models into our um, enterprise stack, uh, customer facing stack was a lot of work. We don't have the data engineers, you know, there's this, there's this gap between engineering and data scientists. So my data scientists, you know, they want to build the best model and get the best F score. Um, whereas, you know, when you're actually running on a production system, maybe having fewer features <laughs> gives you a better runtime. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't need those models because there's too much lag. Right. And so it's, it's that, that, that misalignment that's really been problematic, uh, in, in all of my roles, frankly. Um, so yeah, I, I am curious, you know, since I've, I've been doing this for a long time and, and a lot of infrastructure has popped up. What, one thing that I find hard about that is uh, is actually it can be very hard to, to work infrastructure, it, a new infrastructure into your current systems, right? Um, and then also to modify it uh, and work the way we need to. So I, I do try this a lot and, and I'm currently building um, ML infrastructure now and we are looking at vendors for this uh, as opposed to building it in-house. Um, but, you know, we want something that we can update ourselves and, and have a lot of flexibility. Um, uh, uh, you know, we just don't want to use our resources yeah. to build the infrastructure. So, yeah, it's a huge problem. Any feedback uh, to that, Shri, or anybody else that you've heard? Yeah, I mean, some of these are, you know, uh, classic, uh, you know, some portions are, you know, obviously classic you know, ML ops problems that, you know, Michelle was talking about, you know, going from stage to stage, the pipelining of events having control over the events. So, you know, there are um, uh, tools to help with some of those. And then, you know, of course, from an infrastructure perspective, um, she's right in the sense that, uh, again, you know, I'll go back, you want to have software and hardware that are, you know, completely backward compatible. And, you know, you're not actually going through the cycles of having to update your software to match the new infrastructure. So we take that you know, very seriously, of course, in our company that you know, anything that we build, uh, we always make sure that you know, the code is going to be backward compatible. Uh, everything is built on what we call CUDA and other programming language. So these are classic problems. And yes, and I, we, we see this all the time, right? Yeah, yeah so, I would just, uh, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead, uh, Pamela, and introduce yourself. Hi, yeah, Pamela Weiss-Martinez uh, with uh, Whirlpool. Um, I was just going to comment on Michelle's um, talk, and of course, uh, Shrink definitely hit it um, on the head. I mean, these are classic ML problems, but, but the problem is, is that we've been seeing it for a while. And, um, you know, so, so, you know, getting to that, um, that right recipe, if you would, and, and it's a three-legged stool. From my perspective, I came out of, you know, a lot of work in the 
federal sector where there was, you know, supercomputer for a long time and models being ran, statisticians, you know, across the boards, you know. So, so you know, this has always been a problem. And uh, it was traditionally uh, from that perspective that they didn't understand there was a lack of understanding. And maybe that still exists, lack of understanding that you need both data science and yeah. data engineers and IT. So yeah, you need all three to right. make it work. Yeah. And I think another bottleneck is the self-service aspect. I think more and more, uh, a lot of the LOBs are getting used to self-servicing infrastructure, which I think is required for AIML. Um, the, the, the impression is that it's a very unique and customized uh, infrastructure that is required, but that's what is changing slowly, where they can use uh, their central IT and be able to do self-service and provision um, the required uh, pieces of software um, that is required for doing AIML models as well. So where I'm hearing from you, Rupa, is that there's an expectation. <laughs> yep. It doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I think we see in some places where they're trying to implement those, but I think you have to get, go across the hump in terms of scalability. And that's where uh, a lot of companies are investing to see how to uh, enable self-service. Yeah. There is this you know, uh, transition that needs to happen um, because um, many of what, many of the use cases and workloads that enterprises have been running for a very long time, um, that the discussion could start as an IT discussion just because of the maturity of the problem, right? So um, somebody that is doing, you know, as an example, if you are doing, um, you know, your backend, um, you know, HR systems or ERPs, or th these are very well understood. Uh, IT has enough competency to actually take it and run. A lot of times, I think, you know, um, a, a line of business person not even have to be involved. But usually in, in the last, it's changing, but, you know, when it is AI, it's like, hey, it's that guy. You know, that's <laughs> that's the data scientist problem. Go deal with him. Uh, and you know, uh, I think a lot of the uh, the things that we are doing, or many companies are doing that are working in the space, is to well, number one, you hear this a lot. You know, we we all say we want to democratize AI. You know, and it's a very broad statement. Uh, easier said than done, but. There are baby steps being you know, taken towards this. Like the first one is we are trying to sort of level set the the infrastructure, right? Uh, not always thinking, you know, AI is going to need this big supercomputer that's sitting in, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the data center. First, we are trying to bring all of the capabilities into, you know, mainstream infrastructure, mainstream computers where you can actually run them. Right? That's one part of it. Right. Once that happens, it has to integrate with um, and, uh, the self-service portals and, and, you know, the IT environments and such. So there is some more work to do here, actually. And I think, you know, it'll happen over the next you know, couple of years. It'll become more streamlined. So another question to the group. How, how do you actually determine, this is from Usha, how do you determine success criteria for AI pilot projects? What does success look like? And I know Michelle gave some answers, but let's hear from some other folks first. You can look in the chat and see her responses. Uh, 
And I like some of the answers. I guess what I'm confused about is that like it, the scope definition is the thing. Are we evaluating like our ability to like define what we want? Are we evaluating a particular vendor, all of which have their own like criteria and frameworks, right? I think success ultimately is like business value delivery against like time, right? But it's more complicated than that. And so I, I think part of what I'm interested in, and I'll, I'll kind of wait until I have my turn for a question, right? Um, is what that looks like as the biggest bottleneck is not the technology, right? Because we're, we're finding that it's not infrastructure. We're finding that it's not the performance of the models that much anymore, right? It's how quickly and how agile is the organization in onboarding the tools and technology and like a changing like landscape. Does that make sense? So thanks. Thank you. Uh, David, you also had another question. Uh, this was more technical. Uh, you put it in the I, chat. I, I can make it not technical. And, and the, the not technical version of that question is essentially like self-supervised models with an objective given the right access, right? Can assume the you know AWS role that allows them to deploy the infrastructure, allows them to you know uh, update the schema based on you know the unstructured text and, and, and do the thing, right? Um, that's kind of where we're headed sooner rather than later, which is why I'm really interested in like event-driven monitoring of a vector space. I have an Arise hat on. I love Arise as like a vendor, but you know, three months ago I, I pitched this idea and. Uh, they're, I assume, still working on, on stuff that does this sort of like monitoring. Uh, until then, I started kind of writing my own stuff. I got active on GitHub again, which has been fun. Um, but I'm, I'm serious when I say that, like, in a real way, if we can't do something as simple as, you know, uh, you know, inputs within like a set, like center, right, and a radius, like around that, kind of draw a little circle, a sphere, right, in like a vector space, if we can't monitor that for, X number of inputs against, you know, uh, you know, a Y number of time and Z Euclidean distance or something, then we're not going to have observability into what these models are doing, period. Um, much less making sure that they're effectively, you know, following the objective that's been given. So uh, that was my attempt at a less technical version, John. I, I apologize. So. Thank you. <laughs> Other questions? John, I have a question. This is Edar. Uh, and I'll take it to a totally different level. The, the great, uh, the great observation I'm making here is that there are lots of complicated problems to solve. Still, uh, you know, there's talk about AI uh, in so many different uh, directions, negative and concerning, you know, being used, et cetera, et cetera. But the 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 positive use of this technology is over <laughs> outweighs all the negatives, I guess, in in so many ways, including people like on this call who are intelligent, experienced, uh, forward-looking individuals who uh, who are there to help solve these problems. And I think that's uh, that's fantastic, actually. It's a very uplifting uh, few minutes here of, uh, of observations from my, pers my perspective. Well, I have one question, though, to, to all, all of you who are uh, working in this space, and that is how difficult is it to, to convince um, senior leaders to take the, the plunge to actually get to uh, this investment because it clearly will have long-term positive effects, but it is also a climb up a hill uh, where we need great project managers and, and uh, uh, like some of the, the practitioners here, like Michelle, who has you know, loads of experience doing this, uh, I think uh, is uh, 
you know, what is it going to take to to make the uh, the leadership understand that uh, uh, this investment is absolutely required at this point? Uh, if I, I can make a joke to... and have a serious answer, <laughs> go for it, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of you know quick comments, you know, for that, Idar. So first, you know, first for your first point about you know weighing the positives and negatives very quickly, right? Uh, this is, I mean, this is a session by itself. But I'll make a very quick observation that for every uh, when I say enterprise grade AI software. It must be, and, and actually you gave me a great idea. I need to add that to my slide, to be honest with you, because it must automatically come with the right guardrails, which is going to make sure that you know bias and toxicity toxicity is removed, you know, from some of those um, you know, AI models. So I think that's going to be part and parcel of this ecosystem. Um, second, you know, as far as um, uh, how do you convince your senior leadership, um, you know, I. <laughs> If you are a believer in numbers, you know, uh, or not, I, I see this all the time. And I know like the most recent one I saw yesterday was 95% of uh, the global thousand companies have at least two to three AI projects, which are actually in, in either pilot or progress. I think it came out yesterday. I don't know. It's one of, uh, I can't remember who it was, but so um, I think I, I would say that realization has hit uh, the C-suite, and you know I don't. Uh, I'm hoping that it is not um, a burden anymore. It is more about how quickly can you execute. This is the bigger question. Right. Yeah. Anybody else uh, different take on that? May May I add, John? Go for it quickly. Okay. Awesome, awesome. Okay, yeah. So um, uh, when coming to convincing the senior leaders, uh, we also we need to make sure that, uh, um, you know, if we can be able to, uh, you know, once we say like, okay, it has the, uh, this is the ROI that we can benefit out of it. And what are the benefits from this, we can put together a demo quickly, and mm -hmm. uh, like through uh, POC. A quick, uh, a quick and dirty POC to show showcase. You know what is the benefit out of it when we productize and um, time to market it. So that could be also give a competitive advantage when explaining it to senior leaders. Um, of course, you know may, making sure we take into account the stakeholders um, because I've done this where you know where it was convincing the senior leaders is uh, has been hard so uh, we our team will put together a poc to showcase what exactly it is it won't be like a full-fledged poc but still so but what are the benefits it would be um yeah i wanted to add i that completely too. agree nothing like the art of the possible and actually visualizing what is actually possible even if it is at a pilot level can can go a very long way. I completely agree with that comment. Yeah, yeah just a quick comment. I'm sorry, go ahead. I thought you were go done. Ahead, go ahead. No, no, please. No, it was just a quick comment. Um, those are, you know, sort of that thinking is just very traditional sort of architecture EA thinking where we define our use cases, right? What is it that we're problem we're trying to solve? And so really that is the starting point. And then you can develop your KPIs or whatever, your value streams and all those things that go along with it and the impacts. So just wanted to add that, sorry. Got so anything else? Uh, where, where it starts, you know, sometimes it starts at the use case level uh, and, and actually the architecture level. And you could actually figure out, because the true extent of what is possible, sometimes is not understood, right? 
And then uh, there is a lot of serendipitous, you know, business outcomes that you actually understand once you actually start architecting it. So uh, a lot of learning, a lot of, it's, it's a chicken and egg thing, you know, uh, in, in many cases, yeah. Last comment before we sign off. I think that does it then. Folks, how was the expert talk and discussion today? Please take the FTE show survey on your screen and let us know. Our post-show notes will hit your mailbox very soon with the slide deck, expert resource links that Shree and his team have put together, as well as attendee contact for follow-up. Next up on From the Expert, Solving Problems with AI continues with our new episode, September 12th. NVIDIA shares their vision on the future of high-performance computing. With over 2,300 members, 20,000 followers across 25 industries, the FTE network is growing fast, thanks to you. Check out our library of expert content and never miss a show by registering, subscribing to our YouTube, Apple, and Spotify channels, and be sure and register for our next show at fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. Thank you once again, Shri, and, and to all of you from the experts on the FTE show. We'll see you next time.